So you should have your hand out. You should have your Bible. You should have your Bible open to Psalm chapter 119. We've, we've prayed and, and we're ready. So let's get started with this new series. Psalm 119, God's divine revelation. That is the theme. What has God said and, and what about that? That's what this new series is going to be all about. I'll be teaching some of the weeks. The other men in the class will be teaching some of the other weeks. Scott's going to manage the, the teaching and preaching schedule for us. But let me overview. There's, there's two things you really need to know, okay? So, so here's our, our, our class. You know, here, here's your lesson in, in terms of just the academics here. You guys ready? Yes. Number one. Okay, and so, so this is the theme, God's divine revelation. That's what goes in your first blank. Okay, now, there are 22 different parts to Psalm 119. Each of the 22 parts have eight verses in them. Okay, so it may be that in your Bible, I don't know. If your Bible has this or not, my Bible, if I look at this, it says Psalm 119, and then it says the word Aleph. Okay? And then there's eight verses. Then it says Beth, or Bet. Then there's eight verses, and then it says Gimel, eight verses. Does your Bible have the Aleph, Bet, Gimel? Does it have those? Okay. What those are is those are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, eight verses. Bet, eight verses. Gimel, eight verses. Dalit, eight verses. It goes like that. All the way, okay, check this out, from A to Z. Except it's not A to Z because that's the English alphabet. It's Aleph to Tav. From A to Z. From Aleph to, to Tav. That's A to Z in the Hebrew. It's not the alphabet. It's the Aleph bet. Because it's not the ABCs. It's Aleph bet Gimel. Okay, so there's 22 consonants in the Hebrew alphabet. So each of those letters gets eight verses. So there's eight times 22 letters. It's 176 verses. In Psalm chapter 119, this is called an alphabet acrostic. So you have A, B, C, D, and then you have the every, check this out, this is cool. In Hebrew, it's not like this in English because we have to translate it, but in Hebrew, every one of those first eight verses under Aleph begin with, guess what letter? Aleph, A. So all of the first eight verses start with the letter Aleph in Hebrew. Under Bet, the next eight verses, okay? So look in your Bibles. That's verses 9 through 16, right? In Hebrew, all of those verses start with the letter B, start with, with Bet. And it goes like that through the entire alphabet, okay? So that's called an alphabet acrostic. So Every single one of those verses starts with the same letter that, that, that it's under. Does that make sense? Okay. Super cool structure to Psalm 119. Okay, now, 
Next on your handout, okay, there are 10 different words, okay, for God's divine revelation to us. So God has given us some things, his revelation to us, what he wants you to know. Listen, what he wants you to know is described in 119, his divine revelation to you is described with 10 different words that are used over and over and over and over and over 176 verses. Every single one of those verses, except for one, contains one of these 10 words translated in different ways in English, describing the word of God, describing what God has given us. The theme of this book is God's divine revelation. So let's look at those 10 words real quick. First of all, God's laws. Okay, if you look at verse one, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Okay, that, that law of the word, that's referencing God's word in this way. Okay, it's called God's law or, or sometimes God's instructions. Because they're put in place by God as our ruler. So God is in charge. He's given us the instructions. He's given us, he, he has laid down the law. He's like, okay, hey, listen, everybody, this is how it works. This is how, this is how life works. This is how the universe works. This is what works. This is what doesn't. Okay, everybody got that? Follow these rules. And according to Psalm chapter one, you're going to be happy, blessed. That means happy is the man who walks in the law of the Lord. Okay. Number two, his testimonies. If it, oh wait, we we missed his way. Oh, I guess I don't have a slide for that. His way. Oh, that's because there's no blank. Okay, number two, his way because they are how he provides and how we obey. So if you talk about your way, this is how you walk. This is how you live. Well, I don't do it that way. I do it this way. Okay, well, that's how you roll. Okay, God's ways. Listen to this. They're called God's ways because they're his ways. It's how he rolls and how he says we should roll. News alert. Okay, ready? I don't know if you know this or not, but God's ways and man's ways are not the same. You can't just say, well, this is how I do it, and I prayed. And so it must be good. Mm, mm, mm. Nope. His ways. It's how he provides. It's how we obey. This is what he said. That's not what maybe what mama said. This is what God says. His ways. Okay. His testimonies, number three. It's because they're his declaration to the world. If you have to go to court and you have to give your testimony, that means you're, this is your part, your side of the story your perspective, it's what you're saying, your witness, your, to attest. So you're going to go to court and you're going to testify. You're going to, okay, well, God testified. God said something. What did he say? What did he declare? Now, that's beyond contradiction. So like I could go to court and we're arguing about something and I give my witness and he gives his witness. He attests his testimony, but then I give a contradictory testimony with God there is no contradictory testimony 
God said it. I, I, just, I, I read it. I've got it right in front of me. This is what he said. We have that. Okay. You guys with me so far? This is class time. You got to just suffer through this. Fill in your blanks. Okay. You, you. Number four, his commandments. Because they're given with authority and they give us a charge. They give us something to do. Like we have God's word and it's your Bible and it's sitting on your bookcase. And you're like, yeah, I got a Bible. Okay. Well, what did God tell you to do in that book? I don't know. Love my neighbor or something. What's that mean? I, I don't know. Okay. Has God actually given us something to do? We should probably know what that is because good luck in life doing what God wants you to do following the pathway blessing. If you're like, I don't, I don't know. He's actually given us something to do. He's given us a charge commandments. Oh, I thank God for that. We're going to get to my testimony here in a minute. Um, okay. Number five, his precepts. Now, precepts are something very specific. Okay, not only has God given us his word, he's kind of told me how to deal with sin. He's kind of told me, not kind of, he told me how to deal with my finances. He told me what kind of employee or employer I'm supposed to be. He's told me how to treat my wife so that my marriage is, is going to last. He's told me how to be a father. He's, he's kind of told me how to steward my life. He, he's given me specifics. It's not just mumbo jumbo, hocus pocus. And if I hold the Bible up, I'll keep the devil at bay. No, he tells me specifically how to live different aspects of my life. And so, so that's why I kind of have this diagram. Psalm 119 talks about the word of God. It's complete from A to Z. And God's divine revelation, it applies to, to specific. So here's my marriage. The Bible tells me how to do that. Oh my goodness. Here's my finances. The Bible tells me how to do that. Here's dealing with sin. The Bible tells me how to do that. Here's any other aspect of my life in which I have to figure out how this thing works. And his precepts are specific and it gives us the information that we need. Number six, it's his word or it's his sayings. It's what he said. It's what he spoke because it's the declaration of his mind and Christ, the essential living word. The more you study your Bible, the more you will see Christ in it and Christ in your life. The more you grow, the more you will see Christ. It's a, he's all and in all. I just have to align with that. Okay. Number seven, his judgments. That's what goes in the blank. His judgments, because they are framed in infinite wisdom. Okay, so a judge who sits and he's like, this is the interpretation of the law. I, as the judge, uh, I'm state. Okay, well, God, as the judge, like he's, he's got all wisdom. He has the right to judge. But also, by the word of God, we have to judge things and we will be judged according to the word of God. So we're all standing at the judgment seat of Christ. Hopefully you're at the judgment seat of Christ and not the great white throne of judgment because you've accepted the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you're standing before me. You know what happens? The books are open. And the judging that takes place at the end of the world and at the judgment seat of Christ, it's done according to the open book. We, we have to know what this says. We have his judgments. We do know. Number eight, his righteousness. His word is, is sometimes called his righteousness because it's holy, it's just, and it's good. And 
they this is how this is what righteousness is hey i don't understand righteousness well the bible defines it his word it'll tell you it is righteousness number nine his statutes a statute is a fixed truth that is just ongoing you can just just live according to it you don't have to stop and think about it it's it's something it's a his divine law is built on eternal truths Okay, I want to spend just a minute or, or two. It'll actually be more than a minute or two. But I want to tell you my testimony. Not, not the whole thing, but, but part of it. Because the, the word of God at one point meant one thing to me, and then, and then later in life it meant another thing. And so I'll just tell you. I was raised in a Christian home. Right and wrong were taught in my home, mainly you know, here's the thing. You are expected to do what's right. And we got disciplined if we didn't. Usually it was something in terms of fighting with your siblings. And like, you need to, you know, you need to do well. You, there's not only such a thing as right and wrong, but you need to do what's right. And, you know, there were five of us and we squabbled and fought. And so there's plenty of room for us to do wrong and get in trouble for it. Most, you know, dad, I remember dad praying with us at bedtime. He'd say, listen, Christopher, I want you to think of the things, you know, the, that you've done today that were wrong. And I want you to tell God you're sorry for those things that you did. I remember praying with him when I was a kid. And, and then, you know, we attended church, vacation Bible school, youth group, everything. Anytime the door was open, we were there. The problem was I grew up and, and I was lost. I was at church every week, baptized as a baby. Went to all this stuff. I knew when to stand up. I knew when to sit down. I took communion. I thought every, I, I seemed to be in agreement with everything, you know. But I was as lost as that sock that doesn't come out of the watch. Where is that sock? I don't know. It's just lost. That, that was me. I was just lost as can be. I went through confirmation class at the church and... and uh, I don't even know what were they teaching. Probably something about universalism or being chosen. I don't know. It certainly wasn't the gospel that, that I recall. Anyway, I got through it. I got the living Bible, the, my paraphrase of a Bible with my name engraved on it. And, and as I came out of the junior high years, I was in a very, very, very dangerous place. And I don't know if you can appreciate this or not. But listen, I had a form of godliness. I knew how to go to church services and I knew when to nod and I knew like, like the, the, when to stand, there, there'd be that one chord Bum. and then we'd all stand up and we'd all sing praise God from whom all blessings flow, you know, and then, and then in the prayers, all the prayers would, would, would kind of like, like there's that one prayer toward the end of church and, Say, Lord, as you have taught us to pray. And then we would all join in and, and, and we'd all say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I knew when to stand. I knew when to sit. I knew when to say the prayer. I knew the hymns. I was at vacation Bible school. I was at youth group. I was in service every week. And the problem was I had a form of godliness. And if you would have asked me, hey, are you good with God? And I'm like, well, if anyone is, I am. This cement was starting to harden on my worldview. 
as I came out of those early, you know, that, that junior high age. I don't know if you know how this works, but once that cement hardens, it's kind of hard to, 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 to change it, to get a jackhammer, like God's jackhammer is required. Okay. So then, though, my brother, when, when, after my freshman year of high school, my brother dragged me to the Kansas City Bible Camp so we could meet girls. Okay, but I met Christ. Because at Kansas City Bible Camp, we were just holding services, and I, I wasn't so used to it, just going through the motions. It was different enough, and the, and the preacher he just stood up there and he had a big old black leather bound Bible. And he's preaching hellfire and brimstone out of Luke chapter 16. Where Lazarus, the, the rich man is begging Lazarus, can you just get a drop of water and put it on my tongue? Because I'm tormented in these flames. And that guy was tormented in flames because his sin separated him from God. And I... You know, I wasn't used to that kind of preaching. It's like, am I going to end up tormented in flames because my sins separated me from God? If I put myself in that story of Lazarus and the rich man, where, which side of that gulf am I on? Dang. So that night, after lights out, my counselor took me out into the parking lot with my brother, and he just, we were under the lights. Just us and the mosquitoes out of camp, right? And he just opens his Bible and he just takes me to some verses. And I couldn't have told you then or now. I don't know what verses. But he just says, hey, do you want to do that? And I'm like, yes, yes. Okay, with, with the message of hellfire still fresh in my mind, yes, I want that. And so I prayed. And I couldn't have told you what words I said. I couldn't have told you what verses he used. But I know this, something changed. I know now what happened. I couldn't have told you then what happened. But I knew that I was different. And so then, man, listen, we know now I was born again. I, was, I got saved. I couldn't have told you that then. All I knew is that something was different. So then I'm going through high school. And so in a small town, you know, that just, being saved in a small town, that just meant you're going to try to be a good kid. You got the good kids who don't smoke pot, and you got the bad kids who do smoke pot. Okay? That's how it was. You got the good kids who don't really drink and the bad kids who do. That, that's, that's how it was. And so I was just, I gravitated toward the good kids. I did sports. I went to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Club. I had a Christian shirt. I've got a, like, um, Oh, I don't have it on this one. Okay, never mind. Okay. Anyway, I had this shirt, and uh, it had the fish symbol for Christianity. You know, the, and then he was swimming this way, and then all the mean fish are swimming this way. And I ordered it through Fellowship of Christ, and I'd wear that shirt sometimes. I, I, I didn't know what it meant. I, I just thought, you know, it, it's kind of cool, and it trying to be a good kid. I did sports and especially wrestling and, and football. And so I, I would, you know, and wrestling was probably my best sport. And, and, um, and I'd go out there the three periods of a minute and a half. And so for that minute and a half, I loved to just do my best, just as hard as I can go versus some other kid my same age and weight 
he's going as hard as he can go and let's just see let's just go let's just measure ourselves against each other and i loved that i loved that by the time i was done i was pretty good at it football we'd go out there and then there'd be four quarters and for 15 minutes we're just we're just going at it right we're just fighting sort of except it's controlled with rules i loved that i kind of had it in me to try harder than other people i was my one of my goals was i'm going to be the hardest working kid in practice and i just i loved that so that's how it went the the problem was i was still really living for self trying to stay out of trouble for the most part but very much living for myself occasionally in a quiet moment i'd get a nudge from the holy spirit and i'd go and i'd get my paraphrase off the shelf my living bible okay do you know how many verses there are in the bible Anybody? Over 31,000 verses in the Bible. 31,102 verses in your Bible. And I would be able to open up my Bible and find a verse. Now listen, I couldn't have found Genesis from Revelation. But the Holy Spirit nudged me and I'd be able to find a verse. I remember one in particular. The only one I can remember is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. I remember just feeling like I should find that verse and then being able to supernaturally find that verse. I'm like, well, God, I have no idea what that means. So yeah, I'm all for it, but I, I don't know what it means to awake from the dead. I don't know what it means that Christ will give me light. I want that, but I, I don't know. All I knew was that something happened to me at Bible camp. So I graduate from high school and, and you know, it's, it's time for me to look at colleges. And here's my one thing. I, I played football in college. So I wanted a, a place where I could play football, which means we're looking at a pretty small school. Okay. Number two, I wanted to go to a Christian school because I knew in my heart, I didn't really know what happened to me at Bible camp, but something happened and nobody in my life at FCA or anywhere else had been able to explain to me. And I'm sure I wasn't asking the right questions, okay? I'm not putting this off on anyone else, but I wanted to go to a Christian college so that I could learn what happened to me at Bible camp. And so my Christian college, they had mandatory Bible classes. They had weekly chapel that we had to attend. I was all about that. I'm a freshman, I'm gung-ho. They're religion and philosophy professors. That department, they knew my dad and they're recruiting me to be a religion and philosophy major. But Chris, come join our department, be a religion and philosophy major. And so I started that and I had Old Testament class at 7.50 in the morning and I had New Testament class at 8.50 in the morning. I also had philosophy class. And then over in the other building, in the science building, I had biology, chemistry, physics, genetics and then and then i had all my general eds all the stuff you have to take i gotta take comp i have to go read moby dick to get a liberal arts education okay whatever okay okay but that but but really my focus here was the religion and philosophy stuff so i could learn what happened to me at bible camp and then the science stuff which was the direction i was heading for my career and so the science let's start with that we would go there and and, and i would learn the natural laws and say things like this, hey, for every action, there is a equal and opposite reaction. So look, now you understand that. Let's look at this. Here's how much gravity pulls down on stuff. 
So if gravity is pulling down on something that weighs this much, and it's on a slope, and this is how much friction there is, we can measure the speed that that thing's going to go down that ramp. Like, cool. So we're measuring things, and, and we're doing calculations, and we're figuring out how that thing works based on the natural laws that are in place, that are measurable, that are true. So those natural laws, and you have that sort of thing in chemistry and biology and physics, you have these things that you can use to figure out. And that's what we were doing. And they would call those laws. They would say, this is the gold standard by which we are gonna measure and make our calculations, okay? I'm like, this is cool. Then I go to the religion and philosophy. And I remember the first week, Dr. Petrata is, is teaching New Testament. Dr. Snyder's teaching Old Testament. And Dr. Petrata, he teaches, I don't remember what it was. I wish I could because it would make the story better. But, but he's just teaching. Let's just say, you know, A plus B equals C is what he teaches. I'm like, okay, I got it. I'm taking notes. I want to learn what happened at Bible camp. So I'm at Christian college learning Bible from doctors of theology. It's what I wanted. Because I got to know what happened the very next hour. I thank God for this now. It was so frustrating then. The very next hour, Dr. Snyder teaches A plus B equals L. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought A plus B equals C. Doctor of theology said last hour. Now, one hour later, I don't remember what it was, but they were exclusive. They couldn't both be right. It's like, hello? Oh, yes, Christopher. What, what is it? What's your question? I said, well, Dr. Snyder taught this and you're teaching that, which is true, which is right. They can't both be right. A plus B has to equal something and it can't equal both C and L. So which is it? Oh, that's a really good question. I understand your question. I understand where Dr. Petrat is coming from. Well, I understand where he's coming from too, Dr. Snyder, but which is truth? Which one's right? Which is the gold standard? Which is the one that I can use to figure out how life works? Oh, no, no, Christopher, we're not teaching you what to think. We're teaching you how to think. I don't understand. Yeah, it's okay. Just, just keep coming. You'll, you'll, like, well, no, I, how can I understand? It's not true. It's not right. Okay. Philosophy. The first day of philosophy class, the professor takes his eraser and he stands up in front of the class. We had chalkboards back then, you know, whiteboards, whatever. He had, so he had his eraser and he says, okay, now class, what's going to happen if I let go of this eraser? No one answers. Okay, so I'm, I'm the dumb guy. I'm like, what? I said, it's going to fall to the ground. He goes, wrong. The correct answer is you don't know what's going to happen. It's unknowable. You're just saying that that eraser is going to fall to the ground because that's what you've experienced in your past. But the truth is, you don't know what's going to happen when I drop this eraser. And I understand the point that he's trying to make, that we should be objective about things. And, but the truth, actually, so everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, with all due respect, sir, why don't you let go of the eraser and we'll see who's right, me or you? Let's see if it falls to the ground. He said, you don't understand the point I'm making. I said, I think I do, but I don't think you understand the point I'm making, that you live in this fuzzy world. And this is what I said. I said, I can go over to the other building and I can find natural laws, which are gold standards of truth, 
that I can use to figure out how life works. I know how much a 10 pound thing with the right coefficient of friction will go down a 30 degree. I, I can do that because of the, the, the natural laws. I come here and it's all this fuzzy stuff and you tell me I can't know anything. I can't even know if any racer is gonna fall to the ground. And he said, well, yeah, this isn't like that. When it comes to religion and philosophy, Christopher, and he looks over, his glass, you know, he's like, he's like, you can't know the truth. I'm like, dude, I made a big mistake. It's the only reason I'm here other than to play football is to learn what happened to me at Bible camp. Okay, so eventually I quit raising my hand and they quit calling on me and I just went to class, read the books, took the tests, whatever, put down what they wanted me to put down. But I left... Okay, I didn't know any better, but I left there very frustrated. <laughs> oh, I still didn't know what happened to me at Bible camp after five years of Christian college, mandatory Bible classes, philosophy, weekly chapel. I can't tell you one message from five years of mandatory chapel. You know, so that's a good, good hundred grand invested right there by my parents. Okay, so, okay, so the conclusion, because I went and I talked to him and I said, I, I honestly don't understand. And this is what I was told. I think it was Dr. Snyder. He said, you can't know the truth. Do the best you can. Just try as hard as you can to do what's right. So this is go, go you know, and I'm like, well, that sounds like what mom and dad said. There is such a thing as right and wrong. And you're expected to do what's right. And when you mess up, you, need, you just need to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. For all the mistakes, God, I, I tried, but... I messed up. I did this wrong. God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? It's just, so it's kind of the same thing. Just do the best you can. Okay, so the athlete in me says, okay, if that's how it works, I'll just, I'm just going to do the best I can, and so are you. Okay, we'll just see how, who does better. I'm kind of a cocky kid. Like, oh, I'll, I'll, okay. Oh, so I get into med school. Married young, we, we have Kylie in college. Um, so, I, you know, I got a really good education in the sciences there. I could just go to class and sit in class and listen to what they said and pass the tests and did okay on my exams and got into medical school. That's pretty cool. I get into med school, med school is not like that. You can't just go sit in class and do well on your exams. By the time I figure that out, I'm flunking medical school. I'm not a good student. Got a kind of a lazy mind. I didn't know how to really study and discipline myself like that. Also, we're still young marrieds, and Christine was frustrated. I was frustrated, and, and, and we had taken this approach to life, which is trial and error. If you can't know the truth, what are you left with? Do the best you can. Well, since there's no rules that I can follow, since I don't have instructions and there's no natural laws for truth like there is for science, I'm just going to make decisions and do the best I can. We'll just try it. Let's see how it works out. Trial 
and error was how I was parenting. Trial and error is how I was running my marriage. Trial and error was how I was disciplining my life to study. And, and so here's what happened was uh, I got very frustrated. Um, trying hard, and then when it doesn't work, you just apologize to God and try harder. The problem with trial and error is the error part. And my life was just one big error. I'm in medical school. I'm living down the street here at 39th and Rainbow. I'm like, well, God, uh, sorry. I don't really know how to parent. I love my daughter dearly, but every minute I spend with my daughter, I just, there's a guilt burden building up on me in the studying that's not done. And I'm, and I'm failing anatomy and biochemistry. I know I, it took a massive effort. I mean, I did pass those classes, but it about killed me. My God, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know my marriage probably isn't what it should be. And Christine certainly isn't happy. Uh, I'll just try harder. And, and God, I'm not a very good student. And God, I, I know I'm not doing good enough. I'm sorry. I'm just going to try harder. Okay, so honestly, though, okay, I lost all my hair that semester. I put on 20 pounds of fat from cortisol eating. I was sleeping four hours a night. It's like, how much harder can I try? This is killing me. But I, okay, so I come home one day from class and Christine says, if we get divorced, I'm taking the cat. I'm like, the cat? <laughs> what? The cat. Like, if we get divorced, the real thing that really matters in this whole thing is the cat. Oh my gosh. So, so she was basically saying, I'm not doing okay. We need to go to marital counseling. And so we went to marital counseling at the Kansas City Baptist Temple back in 1992. There was a counseling program, which was really just a funnel into discipleship. And I thank God for that because that's what we needed. So, so we started discipleship and then we just did marital counseling kind of along with it, which I don't know if you're familiar with discipleship, but back then there were 16 lessons. We're just working through these lessons. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who's Holy Spirit? Baptism. You just go, you know, the prayer, the word of God. You just kind of work through some of the precepts of God's word. And so, so it's, it, it's, it's D1, 19, early 1993 by this point. We're about less than three of the 16 lessons and we're working through the material. And Dave, we're sitting at a table and Dave was taking us through the material. And, and this is what I remember. He says, okay, got our Bibles. We've got our discipleship workbooks. And he says, this is what the Bible says. What did you write down in your blanks in your book? Like we, okay, good. So, uh, so this is what the Bible says. This is what we believe. And this is what we do. Got it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, next point. Let's look at what the Bible says. Okay, now what did you write down? You wrote down that. Okay, that's the right answer because this is what the Bible says. And this is what we believe. And this is what we do. Okay, got it? Next point. And then all of a sudden, my light bulb went off. You know what I'm talking about? The, the light bulb? No? You might need to get your light bulb checked. Okay. <laughs> So, so, Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple, and it came just suddenly. 
for me. And I'm like, stop! I just like, like yelling in the middle of discipleship. Just like, stop! Wait a minute. You keep saying something. You keep saying this is what the Bible says. And this is what we should believe. And, and then this is what we should do. It was like, and like, wait, are, are you telling me that the Bible is authoritative? The Bible is a gold standard of truth. That's what I asked him. And he goes, yeah. How'd you miss that all this time? I'm like, well, I was kind of taught otherwise. By personal experience, by a mission, and then by just bad teaching at my Christian college. You mean I don't have to live by trial and error? And listen to me, listen. I can't try any harder and fail anymore. What I didn't understand was what we had, what we have in God's word. I don't have to try as hard as I can. I just simply need to obey. I don't need to do my best. I just need to do what he said. I don't have to have errors because it's not trials anymore. And then this is what I was told. I was challenged. I was charged. And Dave said, look, listen, just why don't you be faithful to God's word and just see if God's not faithful to you. And of course, God has been faithful to me. I can't tell you how many marriage classes and parenting classes I've taught at church. I'm, I am now Dr. Best, medical doctor. I've been practicing medicine since 1997. God, it was faithful in every area that I was failing. I just needed to live according to God's word. That's okay. So, so, okay. So I, I took a long time to do this, but look with me at Psalm 119. There's 176 verses. This is over twice the length of any other chapter in the Bible. It's about the same size as the entire book of Ruth or the book of Philemon or James. It is a complete digest from A to Z. And, and here's what I want you to look at real quick. In Psalm chapter 119, verses 1 through 4, there's some introductory things here. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are thou that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. The law of the Lord, his testimonies, his ways, his precepts. And then starting in verse 5, it's no longer. Listen, this psalm is not God's like, you believe this. This is what you better believe. This is not what this psalm is. This psalm is David telling God what God's word means to him. Not academically, but experientially. Look at it. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not otherwise. Utterly, And then it goes through and he just talks about his life in light of what the God, God's word means to him. And this is the big question entering into this series. 
you know, what does God's word mean to you? What should God's word mean to us? Can you say, in my life experience, God's word has a place. Now, I'm not talking about what you believe. I'm talking about in your personal experience, does God's word have part of your story? If you've been born again, someone taught you truth out of God's word and you believed it and you received it and you were born again. If you've been discipled, you're starting to, to see how God's word is. But listen, this is what we're going to be doing in this series. Every verse except one talks about one of these 10 different translated words for, for God's word. But it's not just a boring academic exercise. It is an, it's a book of understanding of how God's word affects the experiences of men.